0: I invite you to pray with me this morning. Gracious and loving God, yours is the world and yet you are mindful of each and every one of us, that we have all been blessed as unique individuals made in your image. Help us live into that dynamic community, a community of love and support that you call your kingdom. And this morning, let us hear a word from you that we might embody it more fully. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm glad that you have joined us this morning, and we're continuing our sermon series on rhythms. Or, in fact, I should say better, that we are out of rhythm. And so we are looking to dig deeply into the well of Christian tradition so that we might Instill some rhythms, some healthy spiritual rhythms during this time when so much seems out of sync and out of whack. I mean, right now, a number of places throughout the U.S. are scaling back their reopening phases. And I mean, thankfully in Hawaii, we haven't uh, gotten to that level, but you know, many of us are concerned about um, different times when tourists are going to come back. What's that going to do? I know that our economy needs it, but anyway. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, all that to say. I uh, bumped into a teacher, one of Hudson's elementary school teachers, and she doesn't necessarily know what's going on next year at the school systems, and we're just all figuring life out right now. And camps are getting canceled, uh, gatherings and trips are getting canceled or put on hold, and so many of us are just feeling that sense of unrest, whether it's a, a lack of Um, community connection, a social engagement, or whether it's just that rhythm, like going to church or in the sanctuary on Sunday morning and being together, and that rhythm is thrown off because now we're on Facebook at home uh, worshiping together online. I thank you for participating with us during this time, and I want to continue to think about how we might shape our lives together going forward. Bishop Grant Hagia at the annual conference, he he pushed us and says, now is not the time to hope for the day when we can go back to the past. Now is the time when we can look forward to the future, on the needs, and what it's going to be like post-vaccine of COVID-19. And as I think about that kind of image, I can't help but think about the image of the Israelites wandering in the desert. They had just been freed from uh, Egypt, and they were their slaves and in bondage, and yet it didn't take very long of being in the wilderness on their uh, daily ritual of manna and quail that they started complaining to Moses saying, I wish we could go back to the way it was. Even there we had bread to eat. But Moses and God pushed them forward to the land that was flowing with milk and honey, even though it was well beyond their sight and they did not know what it was going to look like. And over and over again, they found themselves afraid of what was to come. See, I think about that within the context of today's conversation. Last week we talked about prayer, but this week we're talking about fasting. Uh, Fasting has been a long-standing tradition within our history of faith, going back to just that story I talked about, going back to the wilderness story. But as I think about that as well, I also come back to this particular Scripture over and over again, because I'll just… Full honestly, I don't think I understood the role that fasting played. I don't know, until I was maybe maybe late college, but probably more like graduate school. Fasting did not play any sort of a role in my life, and, and it might have a little bit, or at least I thought it did, because I thought fasting was maybe just, just skipping a meal here and there, or I thought fasting was the thing that the Catholics and the Lutherans did during this time called Lent, because I grew up in a place called Minnesota, which is just lots of Lutherans and Catholics, and they did something strange like give up chocolate or red meat, and all of a sudden fish fillets are everywhere, and I don't like fish fillets, and so it was a time when I would fast because everyone else apparently was fasting. But anyway, that's a tangential conversation. But I didn't understand it. It was just this nominal thing that people may or may not have done, and it wasn't until I started to look at the history behind fasting and the role it plays in our life of faith that I began to get an appreciation for it. Psalm 103, it has long been my favorite psalm. It, I could go into all sorts of dynamics. I've written like a 20-page paper on the Hebrew poetic uh, context and everything that was going on in it, but what stands out to me is this phrase, the Lord's steadfast love on those who fear Him. And the language there in the Hebrew doesn't really do justice to what I think the author is trying to get us towards. See, because we think fear like this, I'm afraid of someone, or fear is like, I'm going to, you know, cower in someone. But the fear of the Lord, fear of God, is recognizing our dependence on God. And so you can watch the structure of the psalm and how it kind of builds to this moment and then says the fear of the Lord and then it kind of goes down from there and describes it a little bit more and its description is so beautiful that what are we but mere mortals like the flowers of the field, the grass that wither and go, but God loves us nonetheless. God speaks to us that we are God's beloved. The thing is, though, is that in the midst of our routines that get out of sync, we start to forget that truth. We forget the truth that we, not because of what we have earned or what we've attained in life, are God's beloved, that we are mere mortals, a blip on the timescale of history within humanity. But God loves us in particular, not because of your achievements, not because you've done something the way that you were supposed to, but because you are you. And the thing that's ironic is that when I was told about fasting as a daily practice or as a practice, it was always within the context of food. I mean, even Mahe was talking about that, and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but that's just our mindset, right? That we hear fasting, and we hear it within the context of food, and I think that's right. But I had this professor uh, at Duke, and her name was Amy Laura Hall, and she stood up in our ethics class, and we were talking about what we were going to fast this year. And she said, I'm not fasting anything. And we all kind of gasped as divinity students, right? And she said, I'm not fasting anything. This year, I'm taking on chocolate as a daily practice. And she goes, I have been a mom of kids for 18 years, and they are finally on their independence track. And I, instead of giving something up, I'm going to take something on. And I thought to myself, what in the world does that have to do with fasting? And what she had gone on to describe to us is that part of that identity and her worth was built onto the self-sacrificial giving to her children that instead she needed a time when she could, remember, live into that fear of God again, the recognition that she was of sacred worth not because she was a mother, but because she was a chosen and blessed child of God. And then uh, that same year at Divinity School, I also took a class with another professor, which I've, read, uh, I've referenced during this time, because it was to tracing Christian practices throughout history, and, and one of the ones we had to do was on fasting. And so we read the the desert monastics who wrote about fasting as they were out in the wilderness and uh, praying through their temptations. And really what had driven these early uh, faithful men and women out into the desert was that right after Christianity became legal within the Roman Empire, they felt like everyone just started to lead this cush life and not understand the role that God played in guiding them day by day. And so rather than participate in that society, they they went out and retreated from the society so that they could again recognize their dependence on God. And other monastics and other people throughout history helped do that, helped teach us to inspire that. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about it grounding us in the ultimate reality of God's love. Fasting grounds us and the reality of God's love for you. But see in the 21st century fasting in regards to food takes on a whole new dynamic because especially in the United States uh, most of us that we ha- we know don't have a food insecurity problem. In fact, most of us have a overeating problem, right? And so fasting takes on a new dynamic because I can't tell you how many different people I've heard that are fasting and, you know, the positive benefit of that is that they might lose a few pounds during their fast. It might just happen to coincide with their dieting practices, right? And we, I read this, we had to do this in Divinity School, this uh, paper, and it was reading an article from a, sorority, uh, from a sorority, and then juxtaposing that against this faithful discipline of fasting. Remember, fasting is reminding us that we are God's blessed children, as we are. And it was an awful depiction of what was happening at, and it was happening at Duke, where I was at. It was that these women were being put up on pedestals and then there were circled parts of their body that did not conform with the standards of beauty that they were supposed to have as good people of the house. And so they dieted. And so they developed eating disorders. And so food became this really toxic thing within that context. And if someone were to tell them a spiritual practice is to give up eating, they would say, hallelujah, I can do what I really want, which is make my body look a better way and be faithful at the same time. They were beautiful to begin with and did not need to change the way their body looked in order to know that. You are God's beautiful chosen child now, the way you are, and you don't need to change it through a fast in order to become better. Fasting reminds us of our reliance on God. So the thing that we think we need, we give up so that we can live into the reality that we are God's blessed children. So, our professor of this class, after writing this paper and recognizing the meaning of fasting and how sometimes it doesn't correlate with food in our culture as much as it used to, she told us to fast technology. And friends... I need technology, if you knew that. Like, I I need it. I need to answer my emails. I need to write my papers. I need to communicate with my friends. I need to check out, make sure I'm not getting behind on the news because I don't get paper news. I need technology to survive, right? But she made us for an entire week plug in our cell phones to the wall and pretend that they were a landline and only open our computer if we were doing an assignment for another project, another class. And it was hard because I was working at a church. I was the youth director at that church, and I felt like if I did not answer my email the hour that I received it, that they would feel like I was not a good pastor. And if I felt like I wasn't a good pastor there, how could I ever get a full-time job in ministry where people would trust me and think that I might be on top of it? How might they ever think that I could lead people to believing that they are children of God? unless I performed, and as I resisted the temptation, I don't have my phone on me, I don't have my phone, which I actually don't, I actually looked for it, as I resisted the temptation to look for it, to reach for my computer, I was centered for a moment, and it wasn't just because technology is technology, it was because I needed to work on my paper, I needed to communicate via email, I needed to be perfect, because I like to be a perfectionist sometimes. And then I reminded myself in those moments, I am a child of God, regardless of if anyone else thinks it. That I am God's child, regardless if or not, if someone says, well, that person's not good at this. That person doesn't look the right way. That person doesn't do things perfectly. And it was a challenge and it was a test, but it grounded me in God's love for me. Fasting is a practice that can ground us in God's love that reminds us of where our true identity lies. So if you struggle with body image and think that your body needs to look this way, I actually don't recommend that fasting... Be your pra- food be your practice of fasting. It gives in to the temptations within you that you are just living into this idea that you need to conform. What can you do that releases that? I, I hearken that one of the people groups that could fast more appropriately in the 21st century are bodybuilders they're trying to gain muscle mass. To not eat in that context while they're trying to be bigger is giving up something that they think they need to do. Technology might be another. Specific types of food so that you can learn to live more justly might be another. Or maybe, You're like my professor, that have given up, and given up, and given away, and given away, and so your fast is to take on during that time, because it's going to require you to do something different. I have a friend that uh, was telling me about their experience with their counselor recently, and the counselor said to them, they said, you need to take an hour for yourself a day. My friend was not having it because what about the dishes, and what about the laundry, and what about all the kids that that friend has to feed? That is impossible. Taking something for yourself can be a fast as well. Centering yourself in your identity that you are God's beloved can be that for you. So I hope this week you can prayerfully think through how might I give something up or take something on that grounds me in my identity, that I am God's beloved, and that God, despite our mortality, despite being like the grass of the field and the flowers, loves us nonetheless So the praise team is going to make their way back up, and I invite you to pray with me as they do. Gracious God. We thank you for making us in your image. And this week, we pray that you would help us fast, but fast in a way that leads us to our true identity, which is your beloved. Teach us how we might give up or take on so that we might be reminded of our need for you in our lives. And it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen.